Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about understanding social engineering. It's my privilege to be speaking with Marcus Jacobson, Chief Scientist with Agari. Marcus, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Marcus, I'm going to congratulate you. You've got a new book out entitled Understanding Social Engineering-Based Schemes. Tell me a little bit about this book, please, and the mission of it. The mission is to understand three important things. One is to identify and understand attacks that are currently happening. Another one is to identify trends. If you could see where things are headed, and you can kind of anticipate what's coming next, that really helps with the third thing, which is to build countermeasures. You want to build the right things that is going to help the most. So identify, identify trends, and build new tools. So that's what the book focuses on. Marcus, you have studied socially engineered schemes for a number of years now. What do you find to be most misunderstood about social engineering? Two things, really. One is that people believe it cannot and will not happen to them. It's just like car accidents. Uh, there's a reason why car insurance is mandatory. Otherwise, nobody would have it because everybody believes it won't happen to them. Now, unfortunately, with car accidents, it's accidents. On Internet, it isn't accidents. It's malicious behavior, and it's so much more dangerous. So um, people need to understand that it can and it might happen to them. The second one is people believe that spam filters take care of the problem. Spam filters don't. Spam filters are designed to and do a somewhat reasonable job at defending against spam. And spam is totally different from these attacks, these targeted attacks. They're not large volumes. They don't speak about Viagra. And they are very much looking like business-as-usual conversations. Again, Marcus, you've studied the field for a good number of years now. How have you seen socially engineered schemes evolve to where we are today? There are two primary things, targeting and sophistication. So attackers have realized that by targeting their victims, um, whether using breach data or account takeover data or just public data, they can increase the yields of their attacks by orders of magnitude. So they can make it seem reasonable. And also in terms of sophistication, if you think about social engineering attacks 10 years ago, there are the typical Nigerian letters that you look at and you think they're outrageous. But today's social engineering attacks make total sense to most people. And it's very hard to detect some of them. So understanding those two things is critical. Now, one thing that has become very prominent recently is impersonation. Uh, so. Attackers impersonate trusted parties in three primary ways. One is to use spoofing. Another one is to look, use look-alike domains. So they register a domain that looks very much like the domain of somebody you trust, and then they send an email from that. And the third is simply to use display names that are changed to match the trusted party. Now, the attacker understands monetization much better these days as well. So attackers get money from, for example, wire schemes where they ask their victims to wire money. They get money from ransomware schemes where they lock down the systems of the victim and then demand money. And also in very indirect ways, such as W-2 attacks, where they get information from the Human Resource Department, for example, of an organization regarding the employee's personal information. And then 
The attacker files taxes on behalf of these people, claiming refunds, collecting the refunds, and this is they're making off with the money before the employees even are filing their own taxes for real. And so this development of monetization insights among the attackers has really driven the profitability and therefore the volume of the attacks. Marcus, as we talk to security leaders and even some users, certainly we see that awareness about socially engineered schemes has increased significantly. But what I don't understand is, given the increase in awareness, why are these attacks still so successful? Unfortunately, awareness has very little to do with it. Um, As I mentioned, the attackers have become very sophisticated. They understand the psychology of typical victims. They target people and they use contextually relevant information and therefore it plainly makes sense. So you could be aware of the attack all you want. If if it looks right and it feels right, you, it's a theoretical academic issue to know that there are attacks. Now that's one thing. Another thing is that it's not one or two or three or five or ten different attacks. There are hundreds of versions. I consider all day enumerate things that to typical internet users would look entirely different from each other. And, you know, you can't ask a typical computer user to keep in mind all of these different attacks and potential versions of these and look for them all the time. It's just not meaningful. So you need tools to help people uh, defend against things in order to take off the load of the user. The awareness issue, I think, is mostly, uh, at this point, with the threats that we're seeing today, it's irrelevant, mostly, unfortunately. Well, talk to me about the tools, then. What kind of technology solutions can help organizations to detect and deter some of these schemes? At the heart of the issue is to algorithmically understand deception. So you want to be able to have a filter so an automated software tool that runs on your system that identifies when something isn't trusted, and that's pretty easy, but will look trusted and trustworthy to the recipient. That's much harder. And the discrepancy between these two, that is what, we're da- that is, what is dangerous, something that looks trustworthy but isn't. That's what is really at the heart of deception. So one thing that is important to do. Another one is um, you want to make it hard to impersonate victims or or to the launch pads to the victims. DMARC is a technology that uses digital signatures automatically signing all outgoing messages and automatically verifying all incoming messages to make sure that they were not just inserted in the mail stream. DMARC addresses spoofing where spoofing is pretty much like The criminal goes to um, a mailbox and puts in a letter in it. It's stamped. It has the address of the recipient, and it has the return address that is fake. It will make the recipient think that that's where it came from, but that's not where it came from. That's exactly what attackers do when they spoof messages, and DMARC counteracts that. Marcus, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about business email compromise. This has been a huge topic of conversation for the past year or so. How do you find that organizations are now successfully avoiding being scammed? That's a difficult thing, but um, there and there's no silver bullet here, but there are several 
important things to be aware of and do. So one, as I mentioned, is DMARC. Another one is a product that my employer I has produced and is finding, which is called Enterprise Protect. It looks for deception. Also, there are other things people can do apart from deploying filters. One is to have procedures for payment. For example, you don't want people to be able to send a wire without looking in the face of the person who's requesting it or verifying over the phone that this is really what you want. And yes, I do recognize your voice. You don't want people to do things in a hurry just because the boss is asking for and saying it's pressing. So you need procedures. It, of course, doesn't address uh, W-2 scams. It doesn't address ransomware. So you need to recognize that these are partial solutions. Uh, in terms of ransomware, it's helpful to do backups. Not that it's only about backups and keeping the data that you have. Organizations also want to make sure that sensitive data isn't divulged to others. Um, another important thing is that um, it's, it's very tempting to use personal accounts for communication sometimes, but it does increase the risk substantially, especially since the recipients of an email might not recognize whether it's the same personal account that they're receiving things from as they normally do. And therefore, this is another source of deception and misguided decisions. So the more people can stick to the protocol, the easier it is to defend against business email compromise. Marcus, you mentioned your employer, Agari, and I know you've just recently joined the organization. What if you might tell me a little bit about your role at Agari and what you're doing now to help organizations stay a, a step ahead of the fraudsters when it comes to social engineering? So one part of my effort is to research the next wave of threats. Uh, I'm pretty much um, putting myself in the shoes of the attacker, thinking, how could I increase the yield? How would I be able be able to better deceive the recipient of an attack or extort them. or And then with that new plan of how to be a worse criminal, I'm setting out to build better tools. Um, I'm identifying, based on the psychology of the recipient and experiments that I run and surveys that I run, exactly what is it that makes people fall for this. And, and this is difficult. Uh, it's something that I kind of build up a knowledge base over time and a gut feeling. But, but it's not enough with gut feeling. You need to try things and, and test things in small experiments. And, and once you understand what, what is the likely next threat and what is the likely user reaction to it, then you could start putting together algorithms and approaches to defend against it. So it's to develop countermeasures pretty much based on the monetization opportunities of the attackers, the rising threat, and user psychology, which is kind of the vulnerability that we're facing here. Uh, people are very used to thinking about vulnerabilities in terms of systems. You know, the computer system has a vulnerability there. It hasn't been patched and so on. But in this context, the vulnerability really is the people. What is it that they will and won't do? And how can you understand that and build a system around it so what is natural for the typical user will actually not cause a danger and exposure to risk, but instead will help the organization stay safe. 
Well, very good, Marcus. I look forward to talking to you a few months down the road and hear about some of the results of your experiments and gain some new insight from you on the emerging trends. Until then, I want to thank you very much for your time and your insight today. Thank you. Bye now. The topic has been Understanding Social Engineering. I've been speaking with Marcus Jacobson. He's Chief Scientist with Agari. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.